finally, I actually really enjoy omega-3 fatty acids. They nourish our brain and they are anti-inflammatory and very hormone balancing in the body. You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. So welcome everybody to another podcast of The Right Club. We are really thrilled today to have uh, Dr. Colleen McQuarrie. She is a naturopathic doctor. This interview is part of our Mind Estate podcast because as we are all busy real estate investors, we've become, we've realized that there's more to life than just real estate investing. And we wanted to start introducing some aspects of, of general health and wealth and personal and professional development that we might not necessarily have the time to talk about in just straight real estate investing. So Colleen is the chair for the Board of Governors at the Canadian College of Naturopathics. And so she's a really important person. <laughs> uh, she really, she's extremely intelligent, very personal, personable, and she's really grounded in science. And that's what I like about Colleen. She can, she can talk to you and you feel like you're talking to a real person. But at the same time, there's this brain that's packed full of information. It's really, really valuable. And I, and the reason I know this is because I use Colleen as my naturopath. I am, I'm now in a different city, so I don't get to see her anymore, but I, I love working with Colleen and I know that she gives a lot of value to her patients. And I think it's, it's going to be, you're going to hear some really interesting things. What do you think, Sarah? What do you, about the interview? Yeah, I think it is awesome. I asked her lots of questions and she was able to give me like some really I mean, of course it's all individualized and she says that, but like I got answers, which is awesome without having to like go in and like get assessed and stuff like that <laughs> from scratch. So like, for example, like the probiotic question or like, you know, the three things to do and the three things to eat just in general as tips, like there's some really great insights, some great tips. I mean, if you're in Ottawa, definitely go and see her. If you're not in Ottawa, well, you've got tons of great information just by listening to this podcast. And it is fun to be able to talk about something that's all encompassing, right? Because real estate's a, a big part of all of our lives, as it should be. But you know, if we don't have our mind, and we don't have our health, and we don't have that, we don't have anything. Like ultimately, like I would prefer my health and mind and well-being over any amount of money because if you have those three things your health your, your your body your well-being then you can make you can make fortune after fortune after fortune right it doesn't matter but if you have a fortune and you don't have any of those things then you can't enjoy that fortune and it can disappear on you and you're in trouble so it's it sounds trite but it's true it it's it's like this is the most important foundation for all of us like your health is everything absolutely everything yeah. So thank you so much for uh, finding her. And I guess you guys are friends. So being friends with her and bringing her onto the show. And uh, she, uh, she is so much, um, she has so much knowledge and insight. And let us know if you guys, uh, if you guys enjoyed this episode and what your comments are. And uh, feel free to email either Laurel or myself, which is our first name at the right So what do you think, Laurel? We should, uh, listen to the episode 
Yeah, I think we should. All right, let's do it. Hi, Colleen. Hi, Laurel. It's great to have you here. So let's get right into this and let's talk about what a naturopath does and what a naturopath does and what's the difference between a naturopath and an MD. So naturopathic doctors, uh, in particular in Canada and the United States, have very similar training to family doctors and physicians. The difference is the perspective or the paradigm from which we work. We're very interested in getting to know an individual and getting a sense of what could be causing their health concerns, what the root issues might be, and helping them address and fix those issues for optimal wellness. We learn about things like drugs and surgery, but our preference is to really help people correct their health and optimize their health versus just palliate symptoms and look at disease management from that perspective. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. I actually have a naturopath as well that I go to and it could be like for anything really. I mean, even just for energy levels, like he's helping me and and giving me some different pointers on what to do and, and different things. But just what, like, do you have a specialty or do you specialize in pretty much anything and everything naturopath wise? <laughs> so I think really fundamentally great naturopathic doctors are good at everything. We learn to be the best at jack of all trades. That's how we get to assess people. I have a personal sort of love of neurological health and fertility, which may sound like very different interests, but really the underlying issue is helping people achieve optimal wellness. And so whether you're talking about a brain or talking about growing a baby, you're still talking about the same factors. So I just want to come back to something because I think you told me, goodness, a long time ago, because you know I've known each other for quite a few years now, that you actually, when you go through your, your training as a naturopath, you actually do like a, an internship. Do you not at a hospital? We do also at a hospital as an option. So we have a full year internship after four years postgraduate training. And that internship can be in community health centers. It can be at a naturopathic teaching college. It can be in a private clinic or it can be in hospitals. So the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, where I graduated from, has a fairly tremendously large program uh, with the Brampton Civic Hospital right now. Oh, that's really cool. Because I think a lot of, yeah. some people think that naturopaths like, don't have training, but you do. You really have training and you have a yeah. college and you have strict standards and it's a big deal. Yeah, I like to think so, yes. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a four-year full-time postgraduate program with an internship component. And we write... North American wide regulatory exam. So not only do you have to sort of meet the standards of the program that you're in, but there is a North American wide body that runs the exams on an annual basis for graduates to write and be able to have a life state. Okay. So could you actually, if you wanted to, you could go practice in, in the States somewhere? Yeah. So for the regulated States in the U S I don't know why I didn't choose Hawaii at this point in time, but <laughs> Uh, those exams are across the board and provided you are practicing and in good standing in your, your home province or state, it's pretty easy to cross state and province. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Well, also it gives me a good sense because, because a lot of people who listen to us, yes, they're, they're in Canada, but some of them do listen to us from the States. So what you're saying is that it's going to be equally applicable to people in, from the U S as people in, the, in Canada. Provided they're seeking care in a regulated province or state. Okay. Yes. Got it. Got it. Okay. Good. All right. So as a naturopath, Colleen, for busy people, 
entrepreneurs and real estate investors and executives and even you know people who are have really really busy jobs what's the most common what are the most common health concerns that you see that they have so in amongst the executives and entrepreneurs in my practice the number one complaint people come in with is lack of energy so they've spent the first five to ten years in their professional life having all of the energy they need and more to be able to do what they've done so far but they're missing that sort of critical extra bit of energy that has allowed them to excel at what they've chosen to do. Or they'll come in sort of saying, you know, I used to have 10 out of 10 energy seven days a week. I'd wake up refreshed, ready to face my day. And now I'm waking up and I just want to go back to sleep or I'm struggling in my cognitive performance. I used to be able to multitask where I was able to, you know, host a meeting and then still spend another four or five hours pushing through deadlines and project management. And they're really looking to up their game or sort of re-engage and optimize their health again. That's really interesting. So what do you do? Like what, give me an example of somebody that comes to you or I would come to you and this is what I would say. What does the care look like then after? Hey, Right Club Nation. Just wanted to stop the podcast really quickly to introduce you to this week's sponsor, Dylan Suter of Elevation Realty. Dylan and his team have been a longtime supporter of the Right Club and now the Right Club Podcast. Dylan and his team have been personally helping me find a property in the Hamilton area, and I know for a fact he's helped many Right Club Nation members find their investment property. Dylan, take it away. Thank you so much, Alfonso. Proud supporter and sponsor, not just the Right Club, and Right Club Podcast, also of Jag Properties, and everything you guys all do in your end. So thank you so much for having me on here. Myself, I'm an investor and an agent. I have a team of five that work with Keller Williams, all investors, and we service the Hamilton, Halton, and Niagara region, both residential and investment-based properties. Just want to leave the podcast with a quick tip for the month. Tip of the month will be winter months bring opportunity to negotiate better prices and extremely favorable terms. If you want the best negotiator in your corner for investment properties or residential real estate, give us a call at 905-592-4220. You can check us out on all the Right Club events Email us at info at elevationrealty.ca. Check us out online at elevationrealty.ca. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Back to you, Alfonso. All right. And like Dylan said, if you haven't met him or anybody on his team, definitely check out the next Right Club event. They're there every event. Thank you so much for your support, Dylan. Now, back to the podcast. Well, I think actually the, the bread and butter for us is in the assessment process. So it's really easy to say to somebody, well, try to exercise or maybe try some B vitamins. But in our practice in particular, we pride ourselves on figuring out exactly why somebody might be lacking in energy. So the more common reasons I see people struggling with energy would be low thyroid function. Our thyroid sets our metabolic rate. If our thyroid function is low or suboptimal, we're going to feel sluggish. We're going to feel potentially like we're retaining water. We're going to feel like we can't focus or concentrate as long as we used to be able to. And we might experience other fun things like dry skin and hair loss. Another really common reason people struggle with energy is if they've sort of burned out their adrenal glands or adrenal glands help set our daily circadian rhythm. And if we've been pushing them too hard with caffeine and over-exercising and lack of sleep and lots of travel, we may have lost their resilience. And so we sort of stagnate and our body doesn't respond to cortisol and adrenaline the way that they should. Um, And then just overall nutrient depletion. So some people come in and they're super low in vitamin D or vitamin B12, and we can help each person assess why their energy is flagging. Yeah. So is there like, I remember spinning into these little vial things 
<laughs> and you know you have to do it like when you wake up and I know this is graphic when you do it when you wake up you do it like at lunch and then and then they measure like you have this little chart and then it measures your cortisol is that how you do it or is there other tests as well so uh, that's one of our favorite tests doing what we call a cortisol curve or a four-point cortisol curve gives really great insight into what an individual's pattern of cortisol production is. So in an optimal world for an adult, we see cortisol sort of peaking between seven and eight in the morning. And then by about four o'clock in the afternoon, we want cortisol to be about 50% of what it was. If that's not the case, a person may be literally like burning the candle at both ends and they may be tired and wired. So they, they can't function, but they can't sleep. And they can't sort of like calm themselves enough to be able to focus and concentrate. But we also order blood tests, urinary tests, stool tests. Um, we can align ourselves with people and get imaging tests done if we're really worried about something. So really, it's about choosing the test for the person sitting in front of us to help them achieve their wellness goals. So you mentioned something about uh, cortisol. And, and one thing I know that the cortisol triggered this question is people... People, I'll, I'll often hear people say, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love adrenaline, right? And I live on adrenaline. And, and then but that has a serious, that can have a serious effect on, on someone, right? Like, so can you talk a little bit about that, like adrenal fatigue and, and what happens and why we, why we can crash and why we can't, like, why we can't sort of operate e effectively at our optimal levels? Because I think that's a real problem, especially with people who are, maybe have a full-time job, whether they're executives or whatever they're doing. And then for our listeners who maybe are in, in real estate, but they also have families and everything else. And they're trying to juggle, I don't know, a hundred different things, right? And they got to keep going. Uh, that's a, an excellent question. So our bodies produce two major stress hormones. One is meant to be very short-term acting to get us through very significant stressful incidences, and that's adrenaline. So imagine running out of the way of a car that's about to impact you or getting away from that dinosaur. Adrenaline is meant to act in very short bursts for very specific reasons, and adrenaline junkies look for that high continuously, and they will do what they can to get that stimulation of the adrenaline to help them focus, help them be productive. But there is an end point to that. You will have a body that stops paying attention to the adrenaline and the body will make more and more an attempt to elicit a response. The other stress hormone, cortisol, is a little more long acting. It helps set our circadian rhythm through the day. And it is also meant to improve productivity, but we're not meant to run at super high levels for a long time. Similarly, if we do, the body stops paying attention and the body, our adrenal glands will produce more and more to elicit the same response. But we can burn that potential out, often at the cost of other steroid hormones, like progesterone for women and testosterone for men. And women without progesterone and men without testosterone tend to have really significant challenges with motivation, mood, and getting things done. That's actually really interesting. We just had a podcast about procrastination. <laughs> And here we are talking about getting things done. But you know, this is all this is all quite interesting because as a as a real estate investor, as an entrepreneur, I mean a lot of our listeners are investors, entrepreneurs, they've got a lot of stuff going on, they have kids. Like what are some things like can we give them, can we give our listeners a little bit of a maybe quick tips on what they can do to improve their mood at home or to de-stress de a little bit? Like what are what, what are some tips and advice? So I have three favorite things to do and three favorite things to take. 
And the caveat here is the things to do work best if engaged over the long term. And the first is sleep. If we don't get adequate sleep and adequate rest, our system cannot repair itself. And without that potential to repair, we don't get this beautiful hormonal cascade triggered by growth hormone. And growth hormone really stimulates repair of our brain cells, repair of our muscle cells, and rebalances our hormones. My second favorite lifestyle factor or sort of behavioral change is making time for exercise each and every day. This is a bit of a tricky one. So for people who have adrenal exhaustion or who have overdone that adrenaline push, exercise needs to be pretty balanced. So walking, yoga, dancing, anything that makes somebody laugh and take deep breaths might be a better choice than an intense cardio workout or heavy weight training. Um, but it's about doing something every day, even if it's just for 20 minutes, again, so that the body can repair and recover. And then the final thing is to build a sense of community. So we know spending time with people who make us feel safe, who make us feel appreciated, and who make us laugh is one of the best medicines to impact that fight or flight response in a way that allows us to go back into rest and digest. So the really quick tips to sort of augment the impact of stress on the body short term while you work on the behavioral change, love a product called theanine. L-theanine is derived from green tea typically. It's an amino acid and it helps flip the switch between fight or flight into rest and digest. It's also a nootropic, which means it improves cognitive performance for people. It's non-habituating and it's safe for children. So we use it a lot for children who are suffering with anxiety or ADHD. And similarly, we can use it with adults suffering with anxiety or ADHD or who are having just challenges getting through a day without feeling anxious or panicky. Um, love magnesium. That's my second most favorite nutrient for people to use to help sort of temper that fight or flight response and help move them out of adrenal fatigue. It relaxes our muscles. It encourages deeper, better quality sleep and is great for any sort of pain related to having too much stress or tension in the body. Finally, I actually um, really enjoy omega-3 fatty acids. They nourish our brain and they are anti-inflammatory and very hormone balancing in the body. Those are some great tips. I want to go back to the sleeping piece. I always have this discussion with my friends, like how many hours of sleep do you actually sleep and how many do you actually need and who needs more sleep than others? What's your take on that? So I think there has to be room for individualization here, but if we keep it just adults, my subsequent question would be how much exercise do you get? How often do you travel across time zones and how prone are you to catching every cold and flu? If you're getting sick and run down and you do a significant amount of air travel, I would argue you need at least eight to 10 hours of sleep. People who exercise regularly don't have as much travel and don't have young children at home can probably get away with a little bit less. So a little bit less like five or six or seven or? (laughs) Probably six to eight hours. Five might be pushing it. We do know that lack of sleep actually sets people up long-term for developing neurological conditions like ALS, Parkinson's, MS. It's, uh, I wish I had time to read this article, but I saw something the other day and I, I just saw the headline and it really captured my attention because something about a uh, uh, study shows that six hours of sleep per night can be worse or just as bad as no sleep at night. 
I thought, oh, that's really something to look into. I don't know if you know anything about that, but that really caught my attention because the article, and again, I did not have time to read it, but I know how important sleep is. And a lot of people think that five or six hours is enough. Well, I find the, the tone of that headline a little bit challenging because again, that individualization piece is missing there. It's sort of like when we talk about nutrition for people, while everybody's body is a little bit different and we all have different phases of our life that we're in, but six hours of poor quality sleep where somebody is restless and they're not achieving deep sleep could be catastrophic to their health if they think they're having a good night's sleep and they're pushing the next day as though they did. Similarly, people who oversleep who have 10 to 12 hours of sleep and it's not refreshing for them, there's a message there from the body that things aren't quite right. The body's exhausted, but it's not meeting its need for recovery in the type of sleep that's being achieved. So sleep apnea is a really great example of a condition that needs to be addressed in sleep. I've seen patients who are high functioning executives that feel unrested when they wake all the time and their blood pressure has started to creep and creep and creep. And the root cause of that for them is sleep apnea. And if you can correct the apnea, their recovery sleep improves and their blood pressure comes back Mm. down without any medication. So what about exercise? Because I mean, I just, I just had a checkup with my, my own uh, MD and, you know, she said, well, you've got to, you know, exercise, you know, this typical get lots of sleep, drink lots of fluid, eat well and exercise. And we all get told that, right? It's like, you just, it yeah. should be like a <laughs> tattooed on our foreheads. So when we look in the mirror, we just see it over and over and over again. But the question <laughs> about exercise is for a lot of people, I know that they can carve out discrete periods of time, right? Like a half an hour or 20 minutes or whatever it is. But a lot of other people uh, can't do that for whatever reason. Their, their lives are nuts. So I guess my question is, can we do a, like, is 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at noon and 10 minutes at say six o'clock, does that have the same effect on us? And I realize this is a general question, but is it... <laughs> Is that a good substitute for doing a 30-minute workout? So it really depends on what a person's goal are. If the goal is to maintain cognitive performance, enhance neuroplasticity or recovery of the brain, and you know continue to be able to move as we age, then yes, 10 minutes sort of intermittently throughout the day where we get our heart rate elevated, we get a little bit dewy or a little bit sweaty and we challenge our body a bit can be just as effective as a 30 minute or one hour workout. However, if we're looking to enhance our muscle mass, rebuild bone density, if it's been lost due to illness or aging, or overcome something like a surgery that has changed the way our biomechanics are functioning, then that work needs to be a little bit harder. We need to be looking at that from the perspective that we're trying to overcome and repair something significant. I often say to my patients who have had major surgeries or, you know, open heart surgery, your body needs specific inputs in order for it to want to correct itself completely. If we don't give it those specific inputs like significant exercise, that self-correcting mechanism isn't optimized. Is there like um, a benefit to exercising like early in the morning versus late at night? That's a really great question. If somebody has a hard time sleeping, one of the first questions I ask them is, what time of day are you fitting in exercise? And if it's late in the day, that tells us their body is producing too many endorphins and too much adrenaline late in the day for them to be able to 
wind down to get to sleep easily at night. Um, if a person doesn't find exercising later in the day impacts their sleep, then it's all about when they can fit it in and make it work for them. That's awesome. Okay. That's, that's really good input. I mean, cause I try to wake up at four so I can get to my 5am gym class, but you know, I'm realizing I only have like six hours of sleep a night. So maybe I need to go to bed a little earlier. <laughs> so these are the choices that we make. I know. Right. So let's, let's talk about nutrition a little bit. I was actually with some investors yesterday and they're all about intermittent fasting. And so we ended up shooting some mm-hmm. YouTube videos and my tenant had made this amazing plate of food afterwards. And I was the only one eating it because it was before noon. <laughs> but, you know, is that is for you? Like, would you recommend that? And if so, you know, what are the benefits and why? So that's one of two sort of emerging dietary trends where the research has been pretty phenomenal. Intermittent fasting for some people makes a tremendous difference, not only in optimizing their weight, but also their cognitive performance. So if you can coach your own body into learning how to burn fat as fuel and then take breaks between meals, your body will naturally then start tapping into your own stored fat. There's been amazing evidence that using fasting can be an um, augmentation for therapies against cancer and other neural and any neurological disease really and a ketogenic diet so sort of like a high fat low carb diet very similarly is emerging as a therapeutic intervention to treat many neurological diseases and those two types of diets go very well together so a person who's choosing to eat a higher fat lower carbohydrate diet can more easily transition into intermittent fasting and they will see those benefits as well in terms of cognitive performance if you're not chasing a blood sugar curve through the day, so sort of the caffeine and croissant, and then there's the drop and everybody's sort of sluggish after breakfast before lunch. And then we have, you know, a burger and fries and maybe a Coke. And then our blood sugar crashes again around two and we just want to curl up and have a nap, but we reach for that chocolate bar and that sort of yo-yo up and down. We now recognize that in part that's driven by blood sugar up and down, up and down, up and down. And you're telling the body consistently to store energy versus expend energy. So the brain function follows, it stores, it doesn't want to burn. So how long would you recommend that somebody not eat for? Is it, you know, a certain amount of hours, like 12 hours, 16 hours? Does it depend on that person? Is it, is four days, you know, something that you recommend? (laughs) That is very individualized. So I actually love the fact that we have cultures that have embraced fasting long before we sort of understood the science behind it. And I think if somebody's body has adapted to fasting, there's a lot that can be gained in terms of cell turnover and the body's opportunity to spend energy on things like detoxification or things like repairing muscle. If we have a person who's never fasted before, then we might say do a 12 and 12. So take 12 hours of not eating and then break your fast with something healthy and low carbohydrate and ease into longer fasting as you go. Um, I might have spoken with this uh, about this with Laurel in the past, but what I've found clinically, and I haven't found a research study to really frame this for me nicely, is my male patients tend to do exceptionally well with intermittent fasting very quickly, and they see the metabolic change that they're hoping for um, in a relatively short period of time. For women, it tends to be a little less consistent in terms of the great response to intermittent fasting, but they will still do well with a ketogenic diet or a low carbohydrate, high fat diet. 
I find it really interesting. I definitely want to try it. I mean, I definitely admire the guys that were telling me about it. I'm like, and, and how much energy they have in comparison to prior. And it, it actually seems like a great opportunity, but it seems so weird because I, I remember like when I was going to school, they're like, when you wake up, you want to have breakfast, you want to have a healthy breakfast and, mm. you know, and so all of a sudden now we're saying don't eat till noon as an example or as late yeah. as possible. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like throw everything we thought we knew on on its head, throw it out the door and embrace a completely different way of thinking about nourishing our bodies. So um, one of the things that I, w- I want to come back to now, is you, you talked about community as as a really important facet of, of optimal health. And like one of the values we have at the, at the Right Club is that we believe in community. We believe in supporting each other. Like, you know, along with abundance and having fun and all the rest of it, community is really important. We think that we believe that we all work together. So um, it's really interesting to hear you say that community is really important for people because it's like people forget about that, right? It's like that support system yeah. that we all need. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how you see that working and, and what, what are some of the issues that you see when people come in to talk to you? That's, it's, a, it's a really critical piece of people's overall sense of wellness. And I truly believe that what a person perceives about how they are and how they're functioning, how their energy is, how their health is, is often a reflection of how they feel in their life amongst their family, their friends, and their coworkers. One of the questions I ask very early on in an initial intake is, what do you do for work? Do you enjoy your work? How's the group of people that you work with? What I've seen with nearly 20 years of working with patients who are, for example, in uh, the public sector, is that people who work in fairly toxic work environments very much seem to struggle with the greatest health concerns earlier on. And we know people who feel undervalued and isolated in their workplace report higher rates of things like depression and anxiety. So I don't think we can ever underestimate what community does for people's health care. We also know people who surround themselves with friends and colleagues who make good choices around food and exercise are far more likely to engage in those behaviors themselves. If they're spending time with people who potentially aren't as well informed or don't make the same choices about the things they eat and drink, their sleep hygiene, uh, their exercise routines, that also tends to be sort of something that will be embraced by their friends and their colleagues. That's awesome. So Laura, so here's a, an, a different question, but Laurel and I both love wine. Laurel is much smarter and more knowledgeable in wine than I am. And I like to learn and drink with Laurel. <laughs> but with that said, how much alcohol or how much wine is a good, healthy amount to drink? So again, I can't stress enough that there are some individual issues that need to be considered here. But once again, sort of the research is somewhere between one to two servings a day maximum is optimal. And we do know that there are types of alcohol that are more or less beneficial. So happily, red wine still seems to be at the top of the list of things to enjoy and engage in. It tends to be lower glycemic. Um, tends to be a little bit easier on people's livers and comes with lots of something called resveratrol, which helps it uh, offset to the impact of chronic stress for people. So can you define one to two servings? Is that like five ounces? Nine? Because that makes a big difference. For- <laughs> I'll let Laurel potentially. <laughs> 
potentially tell me what I don't think a nine ounce serving of red wine is considered one serving unless you're at the keg for dinner. Um, I think four I, to five ounces is considered a serving, I think, right? Yeah, I think it's four to five ounces, yes. Yeah, unfortunately. Half a glass, so half a glass. <laughs> Yeah. You know, if you want to make it fancy, you get a beautiful big bowl and you make it really fancy and you appreciate not just what's in the glass, but the experience, right? And it makes it seem more and all the rest of it. There's lots of ways to make tasting wine and drinking wine really good without drinking to excess because nobody wants to do that. No. Feel bad. And it, it really affects you physically and mentally and emotionally and psychologically. So, and always. All of the above for most people. Yeah. So let's let's switch it up a little bit and let's just talk about nutrition and people being on the road. And a lot of our listeners are super busy. I mean, they're investors, they have kids, they're going to work, they're doing all that stuff. And for somebody that's always on the go, what are good options for them, whether they're cooking at home or they're going out and grabbing something? Like, what do you recommend for these types of I mean, I would say most people that are listening probably are are leading very busy lives. So again, going back to that initial meeting I have with my patients, I will always ask, do you like to cook? And if the answer is unequivocally no, then I coach them towards a meal service. If they enjoy cooking and they can make time for cooking, I encourage uh, working in the realm of food prep once a week. Let's get vegetables washed and ready to go. Let's get any grains that you're going to consume pre-cooked and ready to go. Let's make sure you have some healthy protein choices. And then I think the beginning and the end of my message around food for people is to focus on whole foods, real foods, that if we can't pronounce a word on a label, it wasn't meant to go in our body. And it's something I say to grade two classes I'm invited to speak to. And it's something I say to people with PhDs on a pretty regular basis. If there's something on an ingredient list, that you're grabbing from the grocery store because it's convenient and it looks easy and tasty and you can't read what's on the back of it, please don't put it in your body. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, that's why I got a chef. (laughs) I think you've got to pick your battles. We We pay experts in accounting and experts in law. Why the heck don't we pay experts in food and nourishing people to take care of us if it takes the stress off our plates and allows us to free up time to do the things that we love to do? Absolutely. True, because um, like I love to, I love to cook. I love yeah. to cook, and I have a garden, right? So yes. um, I I grow Swiss chard and tomatoes and beans and all kinds of stuff, a lot of kinds of herbs and um, peppers and and so I, I maybe this is too much information, but I just got uh, with my doctor. She said she says your B twelve levels are really high. She says that's fairly unusual. And then I told her what I was eating, and she said, "Well, if you like Swiss chard and kale and you eat it a lot, that's why." Your B12, oh, great. right? Yeah. Because it's your diet. And we don't realize that what's out in the garden, if you like to cook and you're growing your own food, that's the best way to do it. Yes, if you have time. <laughs> you have time, yes. Or if, if it's important enough to, or if you love it enough to want to make the time and it doesn't feel like it's adding to your list of to-dos. I think another sort of really good benchmark for people is we talk a little bit about a Mediterranean style diet while the, the details go even further as we better understand how important the health of our digestive tract is to the health of the rest of our body. A really awesome benchmark for people to aim towards is 50 different whole foods in a week. It's a huge number. Most of us sort of 
get into our favorites and our routine and we eat the same things again and again. But the more we have robust variety in a week, the better we'll be nourishing the little bugs that live in our gut, the more antioxidants we'll be consuming and the better off we'll be. So 50 different whole foods. So that's like, it's like going into the grocery store and we all, you know, we all know that if you want to eat the whole foods, you stay on the outside of the grocery store, right? You don't exactly. go into the middle aisles because that's where all the plate, the things are where you can't pronounce the labels. <laughs> yes. Words are 10 syllables long. So you, you head to the, um, the kale and Swiss chocolate salad and the, or the, the lettuce and the, this and the, that, the broccoli and, you buy up that. And so I'm, I'm actually now I'm really thinking because I thought I was eating well, but 50 whole foods, that's a lot. It is. But I think if you love making salad or stir fry, you've hit 10 off the list. And you just got to make sure the next time you make something like a salad or a stir fry, this is another really great time of year to refocus on variety of food because we have all these beautiful fall vegetables that are nourishing and satisfying to our digestion, but not super high in calories. So you think about, you could have three different squashes and a zucchini easily in a week add in some sweet potatoes and then all of these lovely heartier greens like the kale and the chard that last at this time of year pair that with some healthy protein and you're well on your way to that 25 food or sorry 50 foods and even even like now daniel my husband brought home a you know one of those gigantic baskets of wild blueberries from the ottawa valley so amazing so you know a handful goes into a, a smoothie or something right yes yes um, here in Niagara, where I live, there's peaches galore, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm at dehydrated yeah. peaches <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. So I guess it really, that 50 number really kind of threw me at the beginning, but then I thought, okay. It sounds lot. like a lot, but if you're doing nuts and seeds, if you incorporate beans once a week and a grain once a week, you're going to get there. I think food dehydration is another really quick, convenient way to have healthy snacks on the road or on the fly. If you're taking your own fresh fruits and vegetables and dehydrating them, you'll expand their shelf life. You don't lose very much in the way of nutrients and you certainly don't lose the fiber, but you can have healthy little treats for if you're in the car heading between meetings or if you're, you know, grabbing a quick flight to the next city over to attend a conference. That's cool. So you also mentioned gut bacteria and that's why you want lots of different foods. So what are your thoughts? And you probably know what my next question is about probiotics and prebiotics. And is this like something that you believe that makes sense? And I know it's all individual most likely, but what are the <laughs> thoughts of an expert like you on that? Well, you're onto my theme of individual. That's awesome. Um, so I'm a huge fan of probiotics. Uh, one of the most common questions I get asked by people is, what do you think everybody should be taking? And vitamin D is unequivocal. If you're in Canada, there's no choice in order to be healthy. Um, and a probiotic is usually my number two response. The word prebiotic is a bit tricky. Prebiotic simply means it's a food that nourishes the bacteria that live in our gut. Well, guess what? If you eat fruits and vegetables, you're eating prebiotics. There's no reason to pay a premium on a probiotic for one that includes a prebiotic. So prebiotics are going to be more important for people who have very limited diets for various reasons or who have had some exceptional health concerns and were worried about what is living in their digestive tract. We may want them to spend some time with a prebiotic to get things rolling and balanced more quickly, but a good quality multi-strain probiotic could be hugely helpful to many, many people for their overall health, but also for their digestive health. 
So there's lots of kinds, right? There's ones that go in the fridge. There's ones that are on the shelf. Like sometimes I feel like the ones that are not in the fridge are fake. And like, I just don't know any better. <laughs> and then how many billion? There's like all these like different billion. Amounts. I know. It's just so confusing. Yeah. So to use a favorite contractor of mine's statement, you go for the one of the middle value. So when we're thinking about a probiotic, we typically, if it's for general wellness and somebody doesn't have a specific health concern, are looking for what I would call a multi-strain probiotics. We want a minimum of eight and a maximum of 12 to 14 different types of bacteria in that product. We want it to be a clean product. So we don't want to see a list of other ingredients that again, we can't pronounce. That being said, most of us can't pronounce the names of the various probiotics, so that's okay. But if there are things like microcrystalline cellulose, then maybe it's not going to be the best option for us. And I also encourage people to stay away from the probiotics that tend to have a lot of extra filler because they can create increased bloating and increased digestive upset if your system's not used to dealing with them. Um, Go to any health food store, natural value section of some of the larger grocery chains, and you'll have lots of good options to choose from. In terms of the colony forming units, so the number of bacteria in a probiotic, no need to be spending money on something of greater than 30 billion, sort of 10 to 30 billion is adequate, unless again, you've been on prolonged antibiotics or you're dealing with a significant gastrointestinal issue. Got it. Now shelf, like on the shelf or in the fridge, does that matter? So keeping a probiotic in the refrigerator slows down the metabolic rate of the bacteria that are in there. And so the potency of the probiotic will be significantly enhanced. Those probiotics that you can buy on the shelf often are at least in part in spore form, which means they're in their dormant state. And so they don't tend to bring the same potency with them, but they are much better for if you're traveling. Amazing. Well, thanks for answering all of my questions. I feel like, you know, we can talk to you for hours and hours and I can keep asking questions and then you're probably going to be, you know, never wanting to come on this podcast again. <laughs> <do that> <laughs> um, but the next part of this podcast is called our lightning round. So we're going to ask you Laurel and I a series of four questions and you just give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? It's now time for the lightning round. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Sarah Larby. Sarah's goal is to help other Canadians create wealth and retire earlier through real estate investing. Ever wonder how to find, screen, and manage the very best tenants? Go to www.sarahlarby.com to download her free guide. How about where to invest? If so, Sarah is also giving away a free checklist to determine where you will want to buy your next investment property. Check it out on her website. I think so. Don't be worried. They're, 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 they're easy questions. They're easy questions. So, Colleen, what do you typically do on a Sunday morning? <laughs> That's my one morning to sleep in until 7 a.m. and then ease my way into the day with coffee, usually with cream. Oh, so do you not have coffee with cream other days? It's just on Sundays? Uh, during the week, I tend to do my coffee bulletproof with an MCT oil instead of cream in the morning on the fly. <laughs> I do have a follow-up question. You mentioned sleep until seven because I'm a big believer in waking up early as well. What's your, your regular wake-up time? I'm usually six o'clock unless my children have me up before then. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Got it. <laughs> question number two, Colleen, what is your favorite nonfiction or business book? Oh, you know, I'm going to go with a standard that was actually recommended by Laurel's friend, Nancy, and my friend too. Um, it's called Attracting Perfect Customers. 
Oh, why do you, why, what, I don't know that I, okay, now I'm going to have to ask Nancy, but <laughs> what, what, what is it about? Like, just give us a little, um, a quick... um, it's a classic. It's really about finding a way in business to bring people to you with whom there's some resonance so that you're building relationships and you're not just constantly looking for business. Okay, cool. All right. So here's, here's question number three. What is the one thing that you cannot leave your house without? Coffee. <laughs> coffee. Okay. So there has to be a cup of coffee in your hand? In the mornings, absolutely. That's part of the routine. Is there a specific brand that you like? I rotate amongst fair trade organic, but I do the grind my own beans, French press fresh every morning. Awesome. Very cool. I am, for those of you that may not, my full-time job is actually selling coffee for an office coffee company, which I won't name, but uh, that's what I do. (laughs) All right. question, Question number four, who will you go to for advice on running your business and why? Oh, that's a not necessarily as easy question. I feel like I have a great accountant, a great lawyer, and I've developed some relationships with business leaders who make awesome sounding boards. That's not a straightforward answer. That's okay. All right. Well, that's good. There you go. You got to build your power team, right? Awesome. So Colleen, where can people find you if they wanted to reach out and know more? I can be reached. We have a really great Facebook page. So we're at the Ottawa Integrative Health Center or through our website, which is oihc.ca. Okay. And any final last words of advice for our Right Club Nation and our listeners? Absolutely. Invest in your health and invest in your body. It's the only one you've got. And because if you don't do that, there's no point in investing in real estate, right? That's right. You want to enjoy the money. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. We really appreciate all of your your insights and every question that you guys have about naturopathic science or, you know, whatever, whatever about your health, reach out to Colleen. I mean, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Colleen. Well, Laurel, that was super fun. And actually, you know what? Speaking of sleep, it is almost my bedtime. I feel like it's, what is it, 9 p.m. right now or finishing this up. But, you know, it is so great to be able to to talk to her and to be able to ask her these questions and, and take some of that information so that we can apply it in real time to our real lives. What, what was your one big takeaway, Laurel? Well, you know what really struck me was was the community. We all know sleep is important and we know nutrition and exercise are important, but it really struck me when she said community, because I think we tend to forget that. We think we, we, we go through our lives and we think we're in this, we're in our little, our own little bubble, right? We do this, we do that. And the other thing. And I think a lot of us forget that our community is so critically important to every aspect of our health, including our real estate investing health. Because that's another part of our lives, right? Absolutely. I love that community piece too. And you know what I also liked on a little side note is how much wine we can drink. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one to two servings, which I guess is one (laughs) serving in in my eyes. But it's per night. That's actually pretty good. Yeah. And again, it's everybody's different. And um, (laughs) it's, yeah, it depends on so many things. Like, uh, because 
I know from my studies in winemaking and wine tasting and all the rest of it has to do with your, your body mass and your, your fat to muscle ratio. And unfortunately for women, we didn't get into this, but we have an enzyme in our stomach that uh, doesn't process alcohol as well as men do. It does for men. And well, there's many, many factors. But yeah, in general, she said, you know, enjoy. Colleen's message is enjoy a glass of wine, have a good time, relax and enjoy life, eat well, bring somebody in to cook for you if you don't like to cook, because it's important, right? Just like you're doing. You have a chef. My chef is like, I don't even know how how I would ever want to go back to where I was <laughs> before I found her. Because for me, I just I just don't enjoy cooking. And it was always a conversation talking to Matt, like, what do you want to do for dinner tonight? Like, we, we're always like not planning well. So it was last minute. It was going to the grocery store way too often and just getting whatever is pre-made or ordering takeout. Like it just, it actually costs more. And I know this sounds crazy, but it cost us more before if we go out for dinner, like once a week, and then we do takeout like once or twice. And then the rest of the time, just going to get pre-made food at the grocery store. That actually was more expensive than what we're doing right now, believe it or not. And you're not getting the same kind of quality of food. Exactly. So this is a huge, a huge benefit to a change that I've made in my life in the last year. And of course, not everybody can afford that. We, we get that. I'll but- tell, no, but you know what? I'll tell you, it is a lot cheaper than people think. It is an hourly rate that is very affordable, plus the cost of food. Like right. it's not an actual whole salary. Like, And I didn't know this until I started pricing it out. It is actually cheaper. Trust me, it is because she will price match all the food <laughs> as she goes grocery shopping. And I used to go to like Longos or Fortinos and just pick whatever looked like it was ready. It, it actually is costs less. Trust me on that. Okay. All right. Good. Well, if you don't like cooking, that's a really good option. But you have your garden, which is also very cool. Yeah. I, I have a garden. I love to cook. I love to put stuff in the freezer and I'm dehydrating foods and all the rest of it. I, for me, cooking is about relaxation. My husband thinks I'm nuts, but if I actually, if I have a problem, to work on and I so I, I like to engage my both my right uh, brain or the right and left side of my brain I will cook because you're using all your senses right and you're, you're doing some math and figuring things out and ingredients to me when I'm in the kitchen cooking I can solve really complex problems and I find it relaxing so you know that's a way to do it well you know what I think we're going to have the next right club meetings when we're like out for four hours and five hours meeting at your house and you can uh, relax at the same time while you cook and I can eat and uh, we can have some wine. (laughs) All right. So everybody, if you like the, you know, we would love it if you could rate the podcast for us because the more people who uh, rate our our podcast allow us to, to, it allows us to get out to let other people know about it. So Please, if you have a second or two, go on and give us a really good rating. We'd appreciate that. And uh, and share the news. Share the podcast with people. Absolutely. And come out to the Right Club. And you can check our calendars. It's all up to date. And uh, if, you ha- if you haven't been out to the Right Club yet and it is going to be your first time, let us know. Send us an email, sarah at the right club.com or laurel at the right club.com. And you can come as our complimentary guest as your first time around. So on that note, thank you, Laurel and, uh, and right club nation come grow with us. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Come grow with us. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening to the right club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at the where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.